Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, treats me like commodity. Back on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that customer value only exists in your customer's mind, but it takes everybody in your entire organization to get it there. Uh, Today, I am thrilled to have Nelson Griswold as my guest. Nelson is the Managing Director of NextGen Benefits, a really innovative healthcare benefits uh, company and consulting company that has caused him to need to develop an entire marketing and and, uh, management system. Welcome, Nelson. Mark, great to be here, brother. Did I get it pretty close? You did. You did. It's in, um, in, I mean, my mother doesn't understand what I do. So you, you did really well for, yeah, for, for an old guy. So tell us, just give us the high level, what that the improvement in the healthcare benefits, I mean, rather than steadily ex, uh, slower acceleration in healthcare costs, uh, which a lot of other healthcare providers, you can actually show some cost decreases. So give us the high level, how that works. Uh, for people who don't really know the nuts and bolts of the insurance industry? Well, it it breaks down pretty simply. Uh, First of all, everyone looks to the insurance company for two things, the health insurance company. They want high quality care and they want affordable care. So they want to be able to go get high quality care when they need it. And they want to be able to afford that care. Pretty simple. Uh, The problem is the insurance companies haven't been delivering on either. Uh, the Everybody knows the price. I don't even have to talk about health insurance is expensive. Well, health insurance is expensive because health care is expensive. And the reason health care is expensive is the insurance companies don't do a very good job of controlling those health care costs. Uh, because, in fact, the insurance company makes more money when health care costs go up because they get to raise premiums, which is what people pay for their insurance. And those premium dollars are their top line revenue. They make a percentage, it's a small percentage, four and a half, five and a half percent, but that's about all they can make because they're limited by the Obamacare law to their to their uh, profitability. Four and a half percent of a larger number, it's a larger number. So the insurance companies don't work to control healthcare costs. The bigger issue though, Mark, is around quality. Uh, a friend of mine, Leah Bender at uh, the LeapFrog Group, which monitors hospital quality, uh, has said there is no good price for bad health care. Think about it. Yeah. Right. Who wants, oh, you can go down the street to Memorial Hospital. They don't, they charge the least of any hospital in town, but we all know that's where people go and die. We don't want to go to Memorial, but it's the least expensive. 
I don't want the least expensive. I want the best that I can afford. So what we do in next gen benefits and next gen is of course, just short for next generation. So what we're doing is creating the next generation of healthcare benefits for employers to offer their employees. And what we're doing is we start with quality. And if an employee, a, a member of the plan needs healthcare, we use a medical team to, to counsel and guide that member, that employee to the highest quality provider, the highest quality doctor, the highest uh, quality um, hospital. Usually that's the most safe hospital. When it comes to hospital quality, it's usually around safety, around in, uh, infection rates, things like that. So if you go to the highest quality doctor and the safest hospital, a couple of good things are going to happen. You're going to have the best health care. You're going to have no complications, which means you don't have to be readmitted because you got infected or because the doctor didn't perform the procedure properly. And you're going to be back to work sooner because you're going to heal faster because that's what better doctors do is they give you better care. So when we do that, the cost to the healthcare plan goes down and the cost to the employee for using the highest quality doctor and the safest hospital is zero. They pay their insurance premium every month, but there's no out of pocket for their health care, which makes a huge difference because uh, by federal law, members of a health plan are going to pay somewhere between six and eight thousand dollars out of pocket before the insurance company picks up 100 percent. We we waive that. So the employee has nothing to pay and we're saving the employer somewhere between 10 and 20 percent on their overall spend year over year. So if they spend a million last year, they won't spend more than 900,000 this year. Uh, and our, our advisors actually guarantee it with their compensation. If they, if they don't save 10% of over what they spent last year, my clients give write a check back to the employer for their fee. Yep. So it's really about aligning incentives. Uh, the employee, or, or I'm sorry, the advisor, healthcare advisor and the employer are both on the same side of the table. They both want to see healthcare costs controlled. As my advisor clients want to keep their fees and the employer wants to pay as little as possible for the high quality care. Our program allows that. Okay. Fantastic description. Uh, I want to make sure that people didn't miss, you said my clients, my advisor clients. So you don't go to the company healthcare, you go to the people who go to the company healthcare purchasing. So you sell through brokers and through advisors. I'm the consultant to the consultants. My yeah. job is to help these healthcare consultants do a better job for their employer clients and by extension, the employees. At the end of the day, employer-sponsored healthcare is about the employees. Yeah. That's why it's offered. Yeah. So we want to make sure the employees are getting the highest quality care at the lowest price for them and by extension, the lowest price for the employer. Yep. And, you know, as people were listening to what you were describing, they're thinking, geez, that makes so much sense, but it's, that makes so much sense. It must be too good to be true. Um, and so there is a huge market education component to your consulting. You have to get people comfortable with the fact that this is real and then get them to get corporate healthcare buying groups comfortable with the fact that it's a real thing. So it's not, you're not in a trivial business. You're in a business of convincing people that good is possible when they're so used to mediocre. And, and top it all off with this, 
uh, CEOs and CFOs are some of the smartest people in the country. Uh, they don't get to those positions by being stupid or being uh, uh, frivolous. And yet these same executives year over year over year decide I can't do anything about the cost of healthcare. So I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to give operational control to a line manager in HR and I'm going to work on things I can affect. The reason they think that is the insurance companies, health insurance companies, we call them the Bucas, Blue Cross United, Cigna, Aetna, Humana are the big five. The Bucas and the big brokers have told what we call healthcare's big lie. And the big lie is Mr. CEO, Mr. CFO, you can't control the cost of healthcare. We do our best, but it's not possible. You can't do it. So move on to something you can address and let us do the best we can. And it's frankly, it's a lie. You can control the cost of healthcare. It's no different than buying steel or ball bearings or computers or fabric. It's a, it's a product. There's a supply chain and that supply chain can be managed. And that's, that's frankly what we do uh, for, uh, for our employer clients is go and manage the supply chain of healthcare. Uh, when a patient, and I have a great example, one of my clients recently went in for prostate surgery. He came out, the surgery went fine, and he, he goes, so they, they eventually take the uh, catheter out, he goes home, and he doesn't feel well. So the doctor says, well, I think you may have, you may have a urinary tract infection. Drink a gallon of water today. And he did in the abdominal pain was so intense, they put him back in the hospital. Well, they found out that he was on the verge of sepsis. He had gotten an infection during surgery. Well, he's back in the hospital, Mark. He's having the catheter put back in. Yeah. He's having uh, other care uh, provided to him. Who pays for that? The hospital that made the mistake or that had the infection, high infection rate? No, his health plan is paying for that. So the hospitals actually benefit from complications. Yeah. Un yeah. Under the healthcare rules, the new healthcare rules, that's actually changing a little bit. People don't care, aren't incentivized to care enough. But the, the bigger issue, and you're, you're bringing it up, is how do we get the right behaviors? And it, I will tell you, healthcare is complex. Healthcare is complicated. And you'll hear those two offered as excuses for not being able to control and bring down the cost of health care. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that doesn't matter. The problem with healthcare is singular, one single problem. And it's a simple problem. And it's frankly pretty easy to fix. The problem is misaligned incentives. When doctors get paid per, per procedure, when doctors get paid, it's fee, fee, or they call it fee-based medicine. Yep. So when I do more, I get paid more as opposed to my job is to keep you healthy. And if I keep you healthy, I make the maximum amount of yep. money off of you. If you get sick and come in, I'm going to make less off of you because I'm having to take care of you. But we don't have that. Hospitals get paid by procedure, by the amount of time you're in the hospital. When you come back, they make more money. We, I was having a conversation the other day with a um, uh, an ad, an activist on healthcare quality, former hospital administrator who's now a whistleblower on on quality issues in hospitals, and she said, "Look, um, they know who the bad doctors are, administrators. 
They don't know who the bad doctors are, the ones who have complications. They're a profit center for the hospital. They don't want to get rid of them. Yeah. Because they generate a lot of revenue. Their patients go in and get surgery. They go home and they come back into the hospital. We make more money. So it's about aligning incentives so that people are incentivized to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, um, I was, I spent a week with Richard Branson uh, back in April of this year uh, on, on his private Island in the Virgin islands. Uh, tremendous experience. He's a fascinating man. But one of the things he said when we were I was talking about healthcare in the United States, and he said, look, I observed this when Virgin Atlantic took on British Airways. Um, organizations will not change their behavior until their incentives change. It's, it's common sense. It's almost tautological. But it, but we don't we forget that we want yeah. them to change their behavior when we're paying them not to change their behavior. Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit because we're we're uh, kind of preaching to the choir and ranting on the the faults of the system. But this is about value. This podcast is about value. Value is the desirability that of the outcomes a customer achieves when they do business with you. So A, it's about outcomes. B, it's about the customer actually connecting those outcomes with what you sold to them with your their business relationship with it. Um, there's lots of, I have lots of clients who deliver lots of value, but the customer thinks they're just brilliant and they got them all by themselves. They don't, they didn't realize that you got this, you helped me get this. So, the, um, and we're talking about, and value, third thing is value only exists in your customer's mind. So you've got this challenge. You've got this system of delivering better healthcare, uh, which is a mind bender to not only the consultants, the healthcare brokerage community, uh, but it's a mind bender to those who have been listening to what you call the big lie. And so a big chunk of your effort is not getting better healthcare. It's convincing people that it's possible and teaching people, right? And so you've actually, in addition to next-gen benefits, you are the founder and conference chair of uh, a series of, of programs, Ascend Agency Growth and Leadership Summit. So you're teaching people um, from the ground up that better is possible, that what you thought isn't what is true. And so I wanted to have you here because that is such a important part of your a business, your business. But I think getting people to realize the difference in the outcome possible, that's something that everybody, every B2B, every salesperson has to, that's a bridge they all have to cross with their customers. But it is such an intractable bridge that you've actually had to create a, a company that helps people do it. You, you've actually had to create a business about changing that paradigm. And um, that's really fascinating to me. Well, you, I, I've been making notes as we talk. So if anybody questions the value of Mark Boundy as a consultant, I'm, I'm making notes off of what you've said today um, that, that I'll be using in, in my work. So thank you. Uh, but, but the, the point you just made made me realize that uh, put another way, 
my challenge and my clients, the, the healthcare advisors that use NextGen Benefits uh, as their model, their challenge is changing the value perception of the employers they work with around health insurance and healthcare. Because these, these employers look at what they have currently, which is generally one of the, the, the big five insurance companies. We call them the Bucas, Blue Cross United, Cigna, Aetna, and Humana. And they look at that and they think, oh, that's pretty good. That's what we get. That's, that's the best that we can get. And they move on without understanding that the value is very poor. That what they're paying for, they're not getting the value they yeah. think they're paying for. Yeah. And, and my job is to change it. And I hadn't thought of it that way before. And that's that that changes the way I think about what we're doing. Wow, you just made my day. Um, I, you know, you on your LinkedIn profile, you actually show those as two different businesses, and they actually are. One is actually delivering the value. But the second you've got an entire business around convincing the world that that value is out there, it exists, and you can, it's possible. And that mindset change is probably, that's probably your big, uh, that's the bigger of the two challenges. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I had an epiphany about a year and a half, two years ago. My clients are, many of them are technicians. They, they love putting a health plan together. They love, they love delivering the value, but, but the mechanics of delivering the value. So self-funding is a, is a foundational piece of what we do. If you're not self-funded, then the insurance company's running your plan. You can't affect it. So you have to take over uh, as the funding mechanism. So self-funding, they love to do that. They love the cost containment strategies. They, they love putting this all together and making it work. But that's not the real work in what we do. To your point, the real work in what we do is, is the messaging to the C-suite and helping them understand there's a better way, there's a, a much greater value to be had, that they're overspending for lesser quality care than they could be getting. And that that is all about how they perceive value. Yeah. Um, Nelson, I have a client who, um, is, he's been a change management in a different area and he's recruiting the vice president in charge of the benefit. He's actually right. The, the vice president in charge of the money he's going to the seven or eight figures of money he's going to make for that vice president and that vice president, but it's a change. And the vice president told him. And he quoted it to me. He said, I didn't get to be here 20 years by sticking my neck out. And the CFO didn't get to be CFO by sticking their neck out. They, uh, right? What's they, my, what's the old saying, Mark? No one ever got fired buying IBM. Yeah. Buka, or in your case, it's from the Bukas. Nobody uh, ever got fired hiring Blue Cross or Cigna or Aetna, et cetera. Yeah. That's, that's the mindset of a lot of, a lot of employers. Uh, and, uh, and this is why it's not for everybody because everybody's not open to change. Even when we're talking about their second largest operating expense, 
So do the math. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care how big the company is. It's their second largest operating expense behind payroll. Yeah. And it's something that determines it affects every employee. Yeah. Healthcare affects pretty much every employee. And so the, the other thing is healthcare, you're not sell. I mean, you say you're selling healthcare at a you know, better healthcare at a lower price. That's not what the CEO is buying. Not now. They're buying retention. They're buying employee morale. Right. They're buying and retention, uh, depending on the job, is at somewhere between one and a half and 10 times that person's annual salary. If it's a high-performing salesperson, they leave, that territory goes fallow. All of the sales that they, revenue goes away. The competitors come in and now no matter how quickly you replace that person, and it's usually not very quick, and it's usually not with the same level of salesperson, and it's usually not that they ramp up right away. It's, you know, depending on the business, six to 24 months before they ramped up. Now that person is trying to regain the business that was lost to a competitor. How long does that take? So you can imagine it's 10 times that salesperson's salary. And if they're an engineer and there are no other engineers to be had in this market, it can be 10 times their salary. So retention is what they're buying. It's not what you're selling. It's what they're buying. And so you have to, If how often do your consultants actually get to the point where we're selling not only retention, but you're also selling competitiveness. Um, right now, we're in an environment of, of either, some people call it reshoring or onshoring or safe shoring. And now people are buying from uh, suppliers that they didn't used to buy from that cost a little bit more than the offshore solutions they used to buy. So they're they're thinking, is this worth it? And so if you are that onshore supplier and your biggest expense is payroll and the biggest portion of that payroll uh, the, after the actual dollars out of pocket is, is benefits, can you be more competitive than the other people in your industry who are safe shoring are and how much more revenue do you get because you can you're more competitive and we that's you know that's a huge that's a, that's a top line revenue there's and i got to tell you um there's no amount you can charge for benefits that's too much if you're helping your customer increase their revenue <laughs> well we we teach our our advisors to ask the question what's your profit margin say it's 10%, CEO says 10%. Um, I'd like to be your, your, I'm applying to be your number one sales guy. Well, what do you mean? Well, what's your top sales guy produced this year? Uh, he did a million dollars. So million dollars in retail sales, top line sales, knitted you out $100,000, right? All right, I'm going to put, $250,000 EBITDA on your bottom line, which is two and a half times what your top sales guy put on there. That's a really, well, how are you going to do that? We're, we're going to take overspend that you've misallocated into your healthcare. And we're going to pull that out, put it back on your balance sheet. 
And by the way, you don't have to produce anything to make that EBITDA. You don't have to service anything to make that EBITDA. And oh, by the way, you don't have to pay a sales guy commission on it. And, and so you're, you are spot on. Uh, it's in, and the other question I've, I've, I've had, uh, my seat, my guys as CEOs is how, how tight a market are you in a competitive market? Oh yeah. So if, if is it price sensitive, very, well, then why don't you just lower your sales selling price to get more business? He goes, well, then my margin shot. Oh, what if you could lower your selling price without impacting your margin? How would I do that? You simply apply the savings, the overspend in your healthcare to reduce the price of your product. Your EBITDA stays the same. So either way, I don't care. Do you, do you, do you want more sales? Do you want more EBITDA? We, six and one half dozen the other, but it gets to what they want yeah. because isn't that where they find value? Yeah. I, um, you know this better than I do, but the United States per capita spends by far the most on healthcare. We're 40% higher than the second most expensive country. We are twice the cost of the average industrialized company. That's fact one. Fact two, we're the only industrialized company whose healthcare is paid pretty much completely, unless you're retired, it's paid by employers. So America's industry is paying, is the only one paying for healthcare, and they're paying twice as much for healthcare as all the companies that you're competing with internationally. We're, so, we're oh, go, go why, right? so it behooves any company in America to figure out how can I become more competitive when I've got that huge disadvantage cooked into my income statement. Warren Buffett described General Motors as a healthcare company that makes cars. Yeah. Because of their financial obligation, their financial spend on healthcare. And I, I read that it adds like, I think about $2,000 per car. So we've got to compete against the Japanese and the Germans, et cetera, uh, with a $2,000 uh, ball and chain around uh, the uh, U.S. car maker. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you're, you're absolutely right. If they will, they're overspending on their health care. So if they stop overspending on their health care, it gives it while their competitors continue, it gives them a competitive advantage against their U.S. competitors. And it levels a playing field if they're competing against foreign uh, yeah. companies. Um, just yeah, one other thing, just a, a thought is um, this is comes from the science of behavioral economics. Um, and if you say you can be more competitive, that's compelling to the average customer. But if you can say your competitors are becoming more competitive without than you are, that's the exact same. You're saying the exact same thing arithmetically, but it's twice as impactful to the average customer. If your competitors, if your competitors are doing this and you aren't, that's twice as impactful to the average customer as saying you could be doing this to your competitors. 
uh, another another something I'm writing down. <laughs> cool. All right. Nelson, um, what haven't we talked about that you want to make sure that we we do talk about in terms of value to your customer? I love the fact that you're I, we we didn't spend a ton of time talking about the effort you go to with Ascend trying to get people to wrap their head around having the right sales conversations. It at the end of the day, that that is the business. Because I don't care how nice your shiny new van looks. I don't not, I don't care how packed and complete your toolbox is. If you don't make the sale, your toolbox stays in the van and you're back in the van headed down the road with no sale. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely uh, uh, imperative. You know, we were talking before we before we started uh, the show, we were we were talking briefly about trusted advisors. Yeah. And, you know, I think this ties in really well because it's a value perception. Yeah. Right? You, when, when, when you trust someone, you value that person. And one of the things that our clients are able to do because we can deliver real bottom line savings. So yeah. your typical broker, your, we call status quo, your status quo broker delivers a renewal increase. In other words, your healthcare is going to get more expensive every year for the same or a lesser product. Our, our advisors, next gen advisors, actually reduce the cost of care on year over year spend. Spend a million last year, you're going to spend 900,000 this year yeah. for better health care. And by but by aligning their incentives with the employer, in other words, I'm going to guarantee that result with my compensation. By aligning incentives, the employer goes, I don't know that I can trust you because I don't know you yet, but I trust your incentives. And that changes everything yeah. because now you're going to make a recommendation for a new strategy. He's not going to question your motives. He knows your motive. You're trying to reduce my cost of healthcare so you can keep your fee. I can trust that. Eventually he'll come to trust you or she'll come to yeah. trust you yeah. as a person, but aligning incentives we found does wonders for creating that trust relationship that's so important with a client. Boy, Nelson, I, I love that as the foundation of making sure people know your uh, incentives are aligned. I'm nuts about that, that phrase, trusted advisor, because to me, it means something that it obviously is way different than it means to a lot of people. A trusted advisor is somebody who knows your business. I throw this away better, you know, this is the throwaway line that they, you know their business better than they do. And that may not always be true on it in the strictest of sense, but typically, you know, your advisors are selling to an HR person. You better know their business better than the head of HR. Because HR knows the HR silo, but they don't know their business. So I, I can, I can argue for, I know your business better than you do, but I will absolutely die on the hill of, I know your business in ways that you don't. There's a, you know, there's a dozen things that you as a, if you're going to be a trusted advisor, there's a dozen things that you should know about that company, either before you walk in the door or by the time you walk out of the first or second max appointment with them. 
what their management priorities are, how they make their money, what's their cost structure, how do they make their money? Where's you look at that company, that client, that business, like it's a machine, and you're a mechanic, and you can tell that client that part is leaking oil over there. That part works great. This part's just outright broken. And if you can go to a CEO and walk them through that, now you're the trusted advisor. Um, Gartner found that only 3%, 3% of business-to-business -business sellers are considered trusted advisors by their customers. 85% of salespeople are characterized as they did not understand me or my business. So there's 15% that understand it a little bit. There's 3% that actually get it. I'm going to give you another statistic. Um, so that is the supply of trusted advisors in the market. The supply is 3%. The demand in business to business, there's a couple surveys that have happened over the last four years, and it's come out almost exactly the same, 20% one year, 20% four years later, of business to business customers who bring a salesperson in while they're still trying to understand their own needs. That's before the stage of I'm generating alternatives, way before the stage of I'm trying to narrow down between alternatives. So I'm trying to understand my situation so that I can generate intelligent alternatives. 20% of the time, 21% of the time, your customer's asking for somebody to help them figure their, their world out. And those are way different questions than you should be choosing me versus one of the Bocas. You have to understand. So the demand for trusted advisors is 20 or 21%. The supply of trusted advisors in all B2B is 3%. So we emphasize heavily the importance of being consultative, uh, which of course is really nothing more than asking questions yeah. to find out what you, what you don't know, but also the worst question you could possibly ask a business owner, CEO, CFO is, would you mind telling me some things about your business? Like, well, it's 2022. There's this thing called the internet, right? You can order brochures from the company. You, you, you can better have cyber financial... that, Yeah. Yeah. You better have right, cyber them pretty thoroughly. Right. You don't want to go in and tell me about your company. You, to your point, you want to tell them about their company. Uh, and I, I, I love these stats. I've got some that are similar, but not as good as yours. In the 3%, I didn't know, uh, which is which is really not surprising if you think about it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but it's shocking. It's not surprising, but it's shocking. <laughs> that so few deliver that type of value to, 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 the, to, the, uh, to the client. We tell our clients all the time, go in, and this came from ch the Challenger sale, the, the, the great yeah. book. Uh, the challenger sale, uh, go in and tell them something they don't know about their business and tell them some things, you know, I know you're struggling with this and this and this. How do you know? Cause I went and read yep. your industry magazine and I, I know that's what you're talking about, but there are a couple of other things you're struggling with that I can't know about. What are those? And now you've established yourself as someone who understands their business. They're going to give you a few more problems and somewhere in there, you've got something you can work with. You bet. Absolutely. Nelson, what a great conversation. We could keep going on and on. 
how do people get a hold of you, learn more about what you and what you do? Well, nextgenbenefits.com is our website. And uh, my email, if you care to email me uh, directly, is nelson at nextgenbenefits.com. Uh, and we'd uh, love to have a conversation if you're a business owner or a CEO, CFO, uh, how you can take control of healthcare, turn it into a controllable cost is, is the reality. Uh, and if you are a, happen to be a benefits advisor or broker who's looking to change the industry, we'd really love to talk to you. Cool. Nelson, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for joining us on this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that business, sales, marketing is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old don't know value blue. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>